Welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabel Graham. Welcome to this episode of The Being Leader, the podcast that discusses how you need to show up and be as leaders, reflecting on what impacts our behaviours, our relationships and our outcomes, and allows us to focus more on our approach to leading ourselves, teams and organisations, rather than just doing it blindly. So, as I record this, it's, it's hitting September, and there really is that back-to-school feel in the air as the kids are literally going back. But it also seems as if we've got a bit of a back-to-work feel. Now, that could be perceived rather than real. I get that. And I think it does depend on where you are and listening to this in, in the UK or in the world. But I do know the climate in which we are all now working is very different. So for the last few episodes, I've been focusing on how we are being ourselves as leaders. And I want now to turn the lens from ourselves as leaders as to how we're being with our teams. Because how we show up and relate and interact doesn't just impact us. It also impacts those around us. So how can we be a being leader who is aware of our behaviour and our teams so that we can enable great outcomes? Over the next few episodes, I'm really going to focus on that. And I also want you to think about this. So if you are listening to this as a team leader or a manager or a head of department or a director or even a CEO, you're leading people, right? And I really want you to think about how much time you are spending being with your people. And I don't just mean sitting in meetings, getting them to do stuff, planning, talking about the day to day, making all that happen. I mean, really spending time with them understanding how they're working and developing them. There's a really great model and it's been around for quite a while and it's by a gentleman called John Adair and it's called action-centered leadership and it's based around a model which has three circles. The circle for task, team and individual. So that's the need to achieve the task, to enable the team to work effectively together and for the individual to um, develop and work well as an individual too. Now Adair says to make this work effectively and if you think about it this model can work whether you're a team leader and you're looking after one person or whether you're the chief exec of a you know a multinational corporation. We've always got to focus on those three things but actually the sweet spot about that is making sure that all of those three circles are equal in size And the Venn diagram right in the centre where all three of them overlap is the sweet spot of where we need to be. And that's thinking about, if we think about task team and individual, we really need to have an equal balance of all three. We don't want the task to be so massive um, as a circle and the other two really tiny so we neglect it. We want them to be equal and balanced. Now just think about what that means for how we spend our time. That means... Two-thirds of our time is focused on our people, on the team and the individual. That's 66% of your time. How does that work out? That's three and a bit days a week. Now, admittedly, that's not doable all of the time, but it's a fair chunk of how we need to be proportioning what we're doing. And I want to ask you, are you? Are you spending 66% of your time concerned with what's happening with your teams and your people you know on thinking about how the team works enabling collaboration building relationships or in one-to-ones and really getting to know your people so just think 
Sit and think about it now. How much time are you actually spending? Is it 50%? 60%? 80%? Or less than that? Is it 30%? 10%? Come on, be honest. Also, I want you to think about how many people you lead. If you've only got one or two people, then do you know it might only be 10 or maybe 20% of your time. But if you've got 10, 15, 20 plus people in your team who you're leading, especially if they're all direct reports, that needs to be at the 80% end. You're a people manager. That is your job. So if you're then spending less than 50% of the time with the team, you're focusing on the wrong things. Remember, manager has the word man in it. And I don't want to get into a sexist row over this, but it, is, it means it's about people. So we need to get the balance right. And I think this is absolutely crucial as we're working post-COVID. Um, because, you know, we went from all in the office to all at home, and now we're working with dispersed teams. Depending on what your organisation's doing, you might have some people who are still working from home who could be working from home permanently. You could have some who are out on site with customers and clients doing what they need to do and others who are in the office. So you could have the vast majority out and about with some on site um, and some at home. You could have most at home with just a few out on site, but that means we've got a whole mix and it's probably very different to how it was last year. Now, for some of those teams, working in that dispersed way is normal. They've always worked like that. In a previous life, I was a regional manager. I was constantly working with dispersed teams. But for others, it's a very different phenomenon. And as leaders, we need to recognise that, that we need to be really conscious of how we're working with our people. And even though the environment is different, many of the challenges that teams face will still exist. So I want to start by looking at that because they're as relevant in, in dispersed teams as they ever were before. Now, I spend most of my life working with teams and have done in my past world um, in corporate. And I have had lots of conversations with different team members in a lot of different organisations over the last few years about team performance. And on the surface, everything looks fantastic. You know, they're achieving objectives, they're hitting targets, and they seem to be performing really well. But the reality is, once I start to dig under the surface and start asking questions about how things are, do you know, it just makes me really sad. And I end up walking away from the conversation feeling desperately sorry for them. Because in general, people are miserable or they're nervous, or they're depressed, or they're frustrated, or they're upset. That's horrible, because no one wants to work like that. So as a coach, I ask all the right questions, and I help them to see how they can help themselves. And I help to really get their team to work more effectively as a team, or to challenge their team members' behaviour, or challenge their line manager. However, if I'm honest, if I take my coach hat on, as a manager and as a leader, I really want to go and find their boss and shake them. It annoys the hell out of me because we shouldn't be making our people miserable at work. All teams, when they get together, whether it be for a week or years, will go through stages of team formation. Now, you'll probably have come across some of these on development programmes yourselves. But the most pop popular is one that was developed in the late 1960s by a gentleman called Bruce Tuckman. And that goes through the stages of forming, storming, norming and performing. 
And that's a team dynamics model. And there's been many others since then, but actually, you know, it's still one that holds true. And it's one that I use with teams all of the time because it throws out a set of behaviors which are really, really easy to recognize. And that means people get it really quickly. And it does happen. I've managed over 200 teams over the years and I've seen this again and again. And while it's an old model, I thoroughly, thoroughly believe in it. And I work with teams now and pretty quickly can tell exactly what stage they're in just by the conversations that they're having. So let's think about what these look like. So first of all, you've got forming. And this is when the team comes together. And in the forming phase, I often call it the handbag dancing stage because it's if it's as if everyone was together dancing around a handbag and we're just trying to be in the same place but be a little bit awkward they're not sure how to interact they're being really polite they're sussing each other out they're trying to work out um, whether they like the other people whether they don't like the other people who's cleverer who knows more who's the leader who isn't the leader and there's all of this peacocking and jockeying for position and on the surface of it stuff goes really well because often when teams get together they um there's a huge amount of enthusiasm. People really want to work together. There might be a little bit of nervousness, but in the most case, there's a reasonable energy. And that means from a performance output point of view, the team's actually quite effective. But they're effective due to a bunch of individuals doing stuff to try and show off for each other. So what you have is lots of people giving lots of energy, working on things individually. What they aren't is truly collaborative and working cohesively as a team yet. And that's when we start to move to the next stage. Now, forming can last 10 minutes if we've got some lively team members um, or years. I mean, I've seen teams who have been together two years and they're still in the forming stage and they don't really work together unless they have to. But when that forming stage starts to shift, the team then moves into the next stage and that's storming. And that's when everything starts to descend. Output starts to descend, results start to descend, but most importantly, behavior starts to descend and you'll see it in the behavior first. Now, with storming, we have this idea of people arguing all the time and, oh, honestly, really? God, I wish it was like that. I wish there was a bit of open conflict and people just had a slanging match and told each other what they thought. You know, if this was in the pub and they were all a bit drunk, that's what they'd do, but they're not, we're at work. So instead, we're horribly passive aggressive and actually most age organizations that I think I've ever been part of or worked with are passive aggressive by nature. So because we're polite, um, we don't sit and tell Bob that Bob annoys us or tell, you know, Jenny that she's really infuriating and that the fact that she hasn't delivered that piece of work for the third time um, and the third week in a row at the right time, that that isn't on. No, 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 we don't do that. We just sit and bitch about them behind their back. So we either do it on the group WhatsApp or we do it um, in the corridor or we do it on chat while we're on a video call or we just text each other. But we basically bitch about each other and that gets worse because then we start creating stories about these people and then we don't trust them. So we form cliques and people feel a little bit ostracised. And then we spend half our time talking about how we're really annoyed for the fact that the team isn't getting anywhere and they're not doing what they're supposed to do and that our boss is an idiot. And of course, we would never going to have agreed to that in that meeting because it was just ridiculous and we've tried it before and it's going to fail. Recognise any of those conversations? If you don't, you're not being honest with yourself because I know I've been that person doing it. We all do it. 
And the reality is when we're in storming, it's just not a great place. The behaviors are awful. We're not nice to each other and we can get stuck there. And when it gets really bad, actually results and output plummets. And it's often plummets because as leaders, we don't grapple with that phase fast enough. We don't get our hands around it. We don't move it forward. So it's really important in that storming stage to put in the conditions that are needed for when we get to norming. Now, norming is where the team figures out how they're supposed to be and they start to have certain conditions in place. And there's a great quote by Captain Back and Smith from their book called The Wisdom of Teams, which says the real team is a small group of people who hold a common approach and have agreed ways of working for which they hold themselves mutually accountable. So this means everyone's agreed on the vision and the purpose for how they need to be. They've agreed how they're going to work and play together. They've agreed what's okay and what's not okay. And they are holding themselves mutually accountable. So that means when Jenny doesn't send the report, we go and just to say Jenny and we tell her that it's not on. Instead of going to the team manager and saying, oh, can you go and speak to Jenny because she hasn't sent the report in and I'm really annoyed with her. That's like treating our boss as if they're mum or dad. That's ridiculous. We're adults. It's not, the world is not going to implode if we go and call our team member out on something. And we're going to talk about this a lot more in podcasts to come. But that's what happens in the norming stage. So we agree our roles, we understand what we're doing, and actually everything normalizes again. And the output goes back to the same level as was there in forming. So we're working effectively, we're getting along, we understand the role that we play, we all working to agreed ways of behaving we're all working in the same direction and as a leader in that phase you can start to step back you know you can start to allow the team to be more empowered to make their own decisions because when they become more empowered when they start to call each other out that's when they naturally start to move into that performing stage because they will have productive conversations they will call each other out there will be healthy conflict between them and they will, but they will be able to get themselves out of that conflict without getting stuck because it'll be had openly. It won't be had behind each other's backs. So in that performing stage, you know, you might have some good old rows when you're sat in meetings together, but they'll be good rows. They'll be healthy challenge and it won't fester when it leaves the meeting. And then finally in that performing stage, performance soars because that's what we're paying attention to. And as a leader, you pretty much make yourself redundant. And that's how it should be. So if we leave a team alone and we don't do any interventions with them as leaders, you know, it'll probably take maybe three months, maybe six months per phase to work through these. Depends on how often you see each other as a team or how intense your project is. Especially if it's a hierarchical team, it can take a long time to transition between those phases. And, and also we can get stuck in them. You know, we can get stuck in those different phases so we don't move forward. And the reason why we get stuck is because we assume, because we put people in a team, whether it be a project team or a hierarchical team, that because we've said they're a team, it means they will work as a team. And that's utter, utter bullshit. You know, teams are like relationships. We need to set rules. We need to take them out on date nights. We need to tell them they matter and we care about them. But as people leaders, we don't do that. We just assume that it's all going to happen by magic. And it doesn't. 
many of the teams I see are quite miserable. And that's across every level of organisation. And they're desperately in need of structure, focus, good feedback, and just a bit of direction. And if they had that, it would probably be a really easy fix, but they aren't getting it. Hence, they're stifled, frustrated, in conflict at times, and just a little bit out of control. And mistakes are happening too often, and communication is poor. Ultimately, they're absolutely not performing to their potential. So let's, let's look now at what you can be doing as a leader to encourage your team into high performance behaviours. And that's whether you've got a team who are on site, whether they're dispersed, this works wherever. They still are all relevant. Because it isn't down to your team members to fix this. It's down to you. You need to take the first step. And when working with dispersed teams, this more than ever is absolutely crucial. So the next seven steps are a must. They're a must do, not a nice to do. Don't think you can do a bit of it and forget it. Trust me, that isn't the case. So what exists for your team and what doesn't? That's what I want you to think about when I go through this. And if it isn't there, you need to fix it and fix it fast. Then you need to work at it consistently. Now, I would say that these seven steps are... A, there's a bit of theory in there, but there's also a bit of practical practicality in there. Because remember I said, you know, I've managed well over 200 plus teams in my um, working life. And I work with teams all the time now. So trust me, this makes a difference. It isn't just from reading it, it's from doing it too. So let's look at the steps. So step number one, clarify team purpose. You need to sit down and establish what your team stands for and the reason they exist and also their purpose within the organisation. You need, also need to make sure that everyone in the team buys into it. So be really clear on what's the vision for the team? How does it fit into the company vision? What do they need to achieve? And also what is the team's role? When you're doing this, yes, by all means think about it yourself, but also get your team involved so that it's agreed jointly and everyone contributes. Because your vision of what the team's there for will probably not be the same as your 5, 10, 15, 30 team members. So making sure everyone is on the same page is really vital. And then once you've agreed that, make sure that you're communicating it at team meetings and reinforcing it when you interact with your team. And, and if the future's uncertain, shorten the time frame and give them clarity on what they need to do. You know, often when we're thinking about the vision or the purpose of a team, you know, we're thinking of what we need to deliver in a year, two years, three years as that future vision. And when things are moving quickly and we're in a change situation, that's too long. So shorten it down, give real clarity and make sure that everyone understands it. And that means one person, you might just tell them once. For somebody else, you might have to tell them 20 times. And that's okay. Commitment and consistency is key. You need to live and breathe the team vision and purpose and keep talking about it long after you're bored with the sound of your own voice. People get things through repetition. And if you really want to make it live and breathe within your team, you need to keep saying it, you need to keep talking about it and you need to keep role modeling it. Step two, clear outcomes and goals. Establish clear objectives for your team for three, six and 12 months and further out if you can and make sure they're outcome based. 
so you know what you're going to achieve. It's not just a list of tasks. And make sure everyone is aware of them. Get them to come up with how they'll deliver the business needs and also agree how and when you'll measure and review success. And this is more necessary when you're working with a dispersed team, as you'll need to measure by outcomes, not the amount of time someone spends doing something. You know, life can be really flexible, so you shouldn't have to be chained to a chair or a screen. So make sure that you understand how your team members are going to deliver it. Step three is about being clear on team roles. So establish the role that every person plays in the team. Be clear about what their strengths are, the areas of responsibility, and what you will call on them to do. So who's the person who's going to take charge on tech? Who should be called on when there are people issues? Who's the one who's fantastic at chasing everyone and make sure that they get the stuff in on deadline? Who's the organiser? Who's the wild ideas person? Who's the person who's, you know, chief social organiser who makes sure that people have coffee meet meetups or that you will have, you know, a team quiz or something like that? Work out what the roles are and then make sure that everyone knows what part each person plays and how that then contributes back to the purpose and to the vision that we set in step one. So we've done three things so far. We've clarified the vision and purpose for the team. We have thought about clear outcomes and goals and we've established team roles. Then we're going to start talking about behaviour because these things are really important and that's actually what signifies a high performing team. Agreeing team behaviours or how we will play together is vital, especially when you're working in different locations. You know, when we're working from home, we miss that water cooler chat. You know, we don't bump into people in the kitchen other than maybe the other half um, when we're making a cup of tea. So it's important that we find ways to replace it. And this is something that we need to do together. And you all need to agree it. So when we're thinking about the ways that you're going to play together, the ways that you're going to work together, it needs to be a team thing, not a team leader come, comes up with the idea and then imposes it on the team. So the team needs to do it. The language needs to be really simple. And while as a leader you can input, it's not yours to own. If you enforce it, then other people are just not going to buy into it. They've got to take charge and ownership because once they take charge and ownership, they'll start to call each other out when somebody doesn't live up to the team agreement. Now, making sure that you have this team agreement is really crucial if you want to get to the norming stage of Tuckman. You know, they really need to start seeing each other um, as the sense of authority within the team rather than you as the team manager being mum and dad. So to enable that to happen, you need to have clear roles, you need to have clear outcomes, and you need to have team behaviours agreed. Now these team behaviours could be really simple. So let's have a think about what some of them could look like. It could be, do you know we're going to use teams for every meeting, whether it be a one-to-one -one or as a team, and we're going to make sure the cameras are on every single time. It could be, you know, we're going to WhatsApp or text each other every morning if we're out and about on site, just to make sure that we're okay. We will be on time for video calls. All the tech will be working and we will have prepared for the meeting. How rare would that be? We're going to mute audio when we're not talking. Yes, every time we're going to mute audio when we're not talking, talking because the dog will bark, your kids will cry, the cat will jump on the laptop. Accept it and manage it. What else could you do? You could have social rules. So you could say, we will have a virtual coffee with another team member every week to keep in touch and chat. 
We won't cancel one-to-ones due to poor time management. We will respect each other and not bitch about each other behind each other's backs. We won't IM people on Teams and expect them to be instantly available. And we won't email after hours because we have lives. So note as I talk through those, they're very simple. They're quite chatty and a lot of them are we will and we won't. When we write in that language, people write it the way they would say it. So when we agree in team behaviours, do whatever works for your team. Make sure you agree them together and make sure you stick them. Stick to them. And then put them up somewhere. Refer to them, review them and rewrite them. And introduce them to, to new team members. You know, if you have a change of team member, make, introduce them to the team rules. See if they want to put anything else on. Change them if they're not working. This is a living, breathing document. It's how you behave. Step five is regular communication. And this needs to happen as a team and one-to-one. Now, when I go into organisations and work with teams, this is one of the areas that, where there is nearly always a problem, as they simply don't spend enough time together. Now, don't get me wrong, they sit in a shed load of meetings, but they talk about stuff that isn't important. What they don't do is spend quality time together discussing the things that matter to the team. So it's really important that you establish a routine. Now, whether it's weekly, fortnightly, monthly, agree it. Agree when you're going to meet as a team, set the expectation, stick to it. Even if it's only a 10 minute get together, be consistent, do it whenever you said you're going to and share information openly with with each other. Now, what did good team communication routines look like? So it could be we're going to meet weekly for an hour to update or deal with urgent matters, agree direction and share workload. Dealing with the here and now and what's happening in the next two or three weeks. That is working on the theory that everyone has read the team updates that week. Everyone is up to speed. So it's quick. It's punchy. We get through it really quick, fast. And we are not sitting there regurgitating what we did the week before. That's pointless. Next, we'll meet monthly. And that could be for two to three hours. And when we do that, what we're going to do is think about what's happening on projects and be business as usual output over the next one to three months. In those monthly meetings, we're going to be looking forward and we're going to deal with what we need to do rather than share what we've done. Because think about it, you've had your weekly updates, you know what's going on. We don't need to go and regurgitate it all again. We will, however, identify what worked and where we need to improve. And that's an operational meeting. So that means we're dealing with both tactical and operational. Um, It's still a short term focus, but it's slightly it's looking more further out. The final routine that's useful to have is that strategic routine. And that could be quarterly, or maybe it might be a little bit longer. It depends on how fast your business works. So it could be quarterly, maybe for a day. And it might be off-site or it might be virtual, but it's essentially where we won't get disturbed because this is when we plan, when we look out, when we deal with issues, but not the issues that are going to come up now. These are the things that we don't normally have time to talk about. It's when we review the annual plans and when we see where we are and what we need to be doing differently to stay on track. And also to think about what has come up that we need to consider now and course adjust. These are the strategic meetings. And this is when we plan, reflect and review. Now by putting these in place, we reset routines. Now I know some of these 
set meeting structures and routines might seem quite hierarchical or a little bit draconian to some people and quite structured. And for some of you, you might go, do you know, my workplace isn't quite that structured. I don't think I could cope with it. But the reality is, if you don't have many routines in place in a team, you might have to start with the structure. And then once it's in place, you can then play around with it. But putting that routine in to meet regularly, to get to know each other, to start to work effectively, that's the bit that's important. And trust me, it works. Once you've done that, you can play around with it, but it's useful to do. You also need to do that on a one-to-one basis with your direct reports and make sure that your team members who manage other team members also do the same. That's the reason why it's task team and individual. You need to put planning time for the team and for the individual. Building a relationship with remote teams is vital. You need to know when things aren't okay simply by the sound of their voice. You need them to not keep things from you. More importantly, you need to be build trust and you need to be seen as a human, not just their boss. So meet regularly. So what could good one-to-one routines look like? It could be daily. We're going to just check in, make sure that we're safe and okay. Takes a couple of minutes, could be a text. Weekly, we have a one-to-one video or phone call to discuss operational issues. So that could be around workload, issues, see how you are. Monthly, we have a face-to-face meeting, whether it be remote or in person, and it's a developmental discussion. And that's when we work on goals, we work on PDP. It's about feedback. It's about two-way. It's about spending time with people. So you see those routines that we put in weekly, monthly, more longer term with teams can equally be translated into individuals. And it's making sure that we put time in our diary for that and that we, we do what we say we're going to do. Step six is all about you. You need to be accountable. Individually, you need to be accountable for what you agree to do and you need to play your part in the team. And you as a leader need to encourage that in others. So as a leader, make sure that you don't shirk, you don't lie, you fess up and you're honest. People will trust you more if you're willing to be vulnerable. Also, wade in and disagree if you don't like a a group decision. Have the debate. Don't sit there on the sidelines and say yes. There's no point agreeing things as a group and then whinging about it later. Step up and be there. Because when we do that, it starts to model the five behaviours of a team by Patrick Lencioni. And we're going to explore those over the coming weeks because as a being leader, harnessing these behaviours are crucial. So vulnerability-based trust, healthy team conflict, commitment, accountability and results. So watch out for that in future podcasts. So step six is be accountable. Step seven is hold each other to account. And now this final point boils down to trust. Because if you are truly to be a high-performing team, you need to trust each other. Be honest and call each other out when one of you doesn't deliver or they fail to be accountable or they show poor team behaviour. And as a team member, it's not just your line manager's job to do this. It's yours. You know, as a team member, you are being trusted with managing complicated projects, which are often millions, if not hundreds of millions of pounds. You can have a row with another team member in a good way and not hold a grudge. You don't have to go to your manager and get them to intervene. That's like treating them like your parents. If you're big enough to manage a multi-million pound budget, 
you're big enough to go and have a conversation with your colleague and, and say, do you know what, John, you really pissed me off today when you did that in that meeting. Please don't do it again. You know, so have the conversation. Be respectful and agree to disagree if you need to. Healthy conflict is one of those key things that signify a high performing team. A robust team meeting with lots of debate. You know, as a leadership coach, when I, when I see that, when I see a team really, really heartily disagreeing with each other, it makes my heart sing with joy because it means the team are willing to challenge each other. If I walk into a room and they're quiet and they just sit there and say nothing, you know all they're going to do when they walk out that room is bitch about each other behind their backs. So hold each other to account, call each other out and get on with it. Do you know, delivering true high performance in a team is really, really hard work. Even if you put all of those seven steps in place as a leader, is it always going to work? If I look back over 20 years of being in and leading teams, do you know, I think I've only been part of a high performing team, maybe half a dozen times at best. And each time that was only for about 18 months. And of the teams I've led, do you know, not all of them have achieved it. Because it requires everyone to step up and commit. And that means often there's far too many moving parts. And even though we put all of the bits in place, it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be perfect. I think that's because most of all it requires 0.7 to happen. It may it requires people to hold each other to account. And if we aren't willing without taking offence or harbouring grudges and sulking, we're probably not there yet. So if that's the case, then you need to go back to the start. You need to go back through all of the seven points, revisit the lot and recommit to each other and be really honest. Because when you do get those teams that work, when they are high performing, do you know it's amazing? It's absolutely amazing. And that's how you'll know you'll have been part of a high performing team. Because people help each other out without questioning. You know, it's, it's easeful. You know, everything just seems easy. The relationship seems easy. What you do seems easy. You laugh a hell of a lot. You also shout a lot and you apologize a lot. But you build amazing bonds and they will last for years long after the team has happened. So if you're listening to this, go back to your team. Really measure what you do as a, as a leader. Think about what's in place and what hasn't. And go back and have the conversations. And listen and keep at it. Because when you're there, when you're truly high performing, you'll know it. So thanks for listening today to The Being Leader. If you like this episode, then by all means go back and check out previous ones and send it on to friends and colleagues too if you think it'll be useful for you. And if you want to find out more resources, you can check out some of the links in the show notes or you can find more about me and what I do with those people I partner with on my website at www.successfultraining.co.uk or you can find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in future episodes. Thanks for listening to The Being Leader. 